You're listening to the Ministry 127 podcast, a complimentary resource for today's spiritual leader. The purpose of Ministry 127 is to aid Christians in developing a biblical philosophy of ministry. Ministry 127 is a growing online library aimed at assisting ministry workers with Bible-based resources and is a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel, the Lancaster Baptist Church, and West Coast Baptist College. For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. Today we will hear from Susan Rasmussen on modeling a joyful and godly Christian life. Mrs. Rasmussen serves on the faculty of West Coast Baptist College alongside her husband, Dr. Mark Rasmussen, who serves as the vice president. If you'll turn with me to Luke 17, it's, it's on your sheet there, but I didn't put type all the verses out, and we're going to look at that first, and uh, I have to tell you this story. I read the book Calvary Road by Roy Hushin. How many of you ever read that before? Okay, if you haven't, and I don't see anybody here who has, you should read that book. Some of the thoughts that I, I'm uh, presenting to you today uh, were my seed thoughts from that book, and uh, it was really interesting. A couple of years ago, we were on tour with my husband in Northern California, a tiny little town there at the top of the mountains. And a lady was uh, telling me about this book, The Calvary Road. She said, have you ever read it? It's an old Christian classic. It's wonderful. I said, no, I haven't. My husband was sitting there, and, you know, he is the book man. He's got all the books. And uh, she said, well, I'll give you this book. And I said, I was excited about it. And my husband said, well, I have that book. She can just read it. And I said, okay, don't give it to me. I'll just read it uh, when we get back home. Well, I got home, and I couldn't find it in all of the books that my husband has. He has books in lots of places. But um, I couldn't find it. And I just kind of tabled the thought. I'll read it later. You know, I'll find it somewhere and, and read it later. It's, it's around. It's an old book. Well, in about a week or two after that, a college girl came from a, a senior citizen's house where she cleans, Mrs. Betty Price, and she said, Mrs. Price wants you to, uh, wants you to loan, wants to loan you this book. And I looked at it, it was The Calvary Road by Roy Hushin. I called her, I said, Ms. Price, thank you so much. And I told her that whole story. Uh, thank you, you know, I've been looking for that. She said, oh, I didn't mean to give you that one. I was going to loan you another one. <laughs> And so the Lord just just had me read that because he knew I, w- I needed it. And then also I wanted to share something with you from that book that I think will be a help to you because it was such a help to me. This is, this is uh, speaking of being a godly Christian. And what I'm going to present to you, I believe, is graduate level Christianity. You know, here at our college, we have freshman classes that are pretty easy. And then the second sophomore classes get a little harder, a little more outside reading, more reports junior year, senior year, and this is a master's class uh, with the requirements and with the sacrifice, with the time. So this is graduate level Christian. What Christianity is what we're going to talk about today, and I hope it will be helpful to you. Uh, first of all, look with me in Luke 17, verse 7, and this short parable, 7 through 10, says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, go and sit down to meet? So let's think about this. Let's picture it like Dr. Getch was picturing it for us a while ago, although that was a horrible picture he was picturing for us. But um, anyway, let's picture this. Here is a servant that's plowing. He's been plowing all day. He's feeding cattle, so it's a hot, sweaty job. He's working very hard, and the boss tells him, come on in. It's time now to come in from the field. We're going to sit down, and we're going to eat. And I'm sure he was excited about that. Then look at verse 8. 
and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. So here's the boss. He said, you've been working hard all day. You've been in the field. You've been feeding the cattle. You've been working hard, hard physical labor. Come in and eat. Oh, but first of all, I want you to feed me first. I'm the boss. I want you to get yourself ready, gird yourself. Uh, I want you to serve me. And then afterward, then you can eat and drink. Hmm. Then look at verse 9. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So here the boss is, come in, it's time to eat, but first serve me. And then he didn't even thank him for what he did. Isn't that amazing? And then verse 10, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So all this, we're working hard for the Lord. I hope we are. We're working out there, knocking doors, helping people. You know, people work is 24-7. You've discovered that, I'm sure. I mean, they call at any time, uh, just whenever. You know, we are at their disposal, and that's a wonderful thing. We, we want to be that. We want to work 24-7 for these people that God has entrusted to us. But sometimes they don't thank us. And sometimes we have to just realize We are an unprofitable servant. And if we want to model a godly attitude to the people that we work, we need to come to this place, to humble ourselves at this place. Let's look at uh, some things about a bondservant. Back in, in ancient land of Israel, a person could become a slave in three ways. First, he was so poor, he had to sell himself to be a slave, or maybe a thief would become a slave so he could pay back what he stole. Or sometimes, in rare occasion, parents who are deeply in debt, they would sell their young daughters into slavery. And those were the slaves that they had back in Bible time. But then after seven years, the Bible teaches us that a slave could be set free if they wanted to. But there are times in the Bible where slaves chose to become bondservants, where they volunteered to stay with their master. It talks about that in Exodus 21, 6. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges and shall bring him to the door or into the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So ladies, that's what God wants us to grow to. Where we say, I want to be a bond servant where I will serve God forever. And that's what we need to grow to that point. Let's look at some characteristics of a bondservant, because if we're happy being a bondservant, then we will model a godly Christian life. So first of all, there, A, a bondservant is willing to do normal responsibilities and then do even more. So they're willing to do our normal responsibilities, and then we're willing to do even more than that. That's what this servant did in Luke 7. He had worked hard in the field. He had fed his cattle. He came in to eat, but then his master said, no, I want you to feed me first. So ladies, what is it that we have to do? We have our ladies meetings to plan. Uh, We have those phone calls we need to make, that hospital visit. We need to disciple the new convert. Plus we're raising our own children. We're keeping our husband happy and satisfied. You know, there's a lot that's going on and a bond servant is happy to fulfill those normal responsibilities and then to do more for that. Uh, So do we murmur about things or do we grow bitter 
if you think, well, you know, she has a normal routine and mine is just always, you know, up in the air because when you work with people, you never know what's going to happen. Machines always do the same thing, hopefully. <laughs> but people, you never know what people are going to do. So we do, we get bitter about that. Uh, when the unexpected comes, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, I have my schedule set and then that phone call will come and I have to change everything. And sometimes that upsets me because I want to get, I want to stick to my task that I had. But that's not what a bond servant is happy about. Let's make sure that we realize we don't have any rights. See, a bond servant doesn't have any rights. We belong to the master. And whatever the master wants, whatever expectation he or she has or God has, then that's what we want to do. So remember, a bond servant has no rights. And we choose to live this way. Then B, a bond servant is willing to do tasks without any thanks. And that's a hard one sometimes, isn't it? When we work so hard on that ladies' night out and everybody's having a great time and they're walking out the door, leaving us there to finish cleaning. You know, who is there to the bitter end? We're the ones there to the bitter end because somebody's got to be there to the bitter end. And then do they say thank you for that? Some will. But, you know, some won't. And if so, we get to be like the bondservant in the Bible. If people don't say thank you, that doesn't affect us one bit because we're a bondservant of Jesus Christ and we choose to be the bondservant of Jesus Christ. So, you know what? Let's determine that we're going to serve God and serve people no matter what their response is to us, whether they thank us or not. Because, see, you know, if we are serving God because we want to get his blessings, because we want to get his thanks, that is the wrong motive for serving him. We need to come to the point in our life where we say, you know, God, I'm going to serve you no matter what. Even if I don't get all those blessings that, you know, I hear all these people talk about, you know, God provided a car for us and, you know, they paid for our vacation. They paid for a cruise for us. All of my children are just serving the Lord zealously with all their heart. You know, all these wonderful things are happening. Why isn't that happening to me? And that's not why as a bond servant, we are not serving the Lord because we want to get those perks that's not why we do it. We're serving the Lord because we love him with all of our heart. And we want to because he did everything for us. And when he died on the cross, nobody was down there saying, thank you, Jesus, for being up there. Nobody was. And so let's make sure that as a bond servant, we don't care if people say thank you. If God never blesses us again, then we're going to serve him anyway. Because th that's not why we're in it. We're not in this to get God's blessings, but we're in it because we love him and we serve him. And you know what? God will bless us, but we're not doing it for the blessings. And then when the blessings don't come like you think they should, you're not going to get upset with God because that's not why we're doing it as a bond servant. And see, this is graduate level Christianity, isn't it? Because that's hard. But that's uh, what the Bible is teaching us here. C, does not have bad thoughts or think others to be selfish when he is taken advantage of does not have bad thoughts or think others to be selfish when he is taken advantage of. So remember, the bond servant is existing to serve the interests of his master and of other people. It's not about me. You know, we need to go home and look at our mirror and say, you know, it's not about me. It's not about me. So if it's not about us, it doesn't matter 
how people treat us, and we won't have bad thoughts about them. It's so important in the ministry that we don't uh, become critical of the people that we work with. We must love them. And if we're going to truly love them and pray for them like we should, we can't be thinking, she didn't thank me for that meeting, or she never sent me a thank you note, or she just left right away and she never helped put back one chair, she never swept. We can't think those thoughts when we're ministering to other people. And truly, this man did not. Uh, He just came in and he served his uh, master, and then he said, you know, it's because I'm an unprofitable servant. I've just done that which was my duty to do. It's just my duty to do that. D, uh, e, or D is where we are, confesses to be an unprofitable servant. There is no ground for pride or self-congratulation. So we need to remember that in ourselves, in our flesh, dwelleth no good thing. You know, we're so naturally proud, and we're naturally stubborn, and it's only the Lord Jesus that can make us willing and can make us a bondservant. So let's look at E, which says, After doing all of this in meekness and humility, simply say it was his duty. So after doing all of this in meekness and humility, simply says it was his duty. He is an unprofitable servant. You know, we were made to be God's bond servant. So when we're upset about something, it's because we're not realizing what God made us to be. And we're not becoming what God made us to be. So the evidence of God's working in our lives is our willingness to be restored to this intended position, that of being a bondservant. That's what God wants us to be. The way to spiritual power and fruitfulness is to be a bondservant for Jesus Christ. If we have unrest or unwillingness in our soul, it's because we're unwilling to walk in the path of meekness and brokenness, which is the path of a bondservant. So this is not easy. Uh, You've heard the song, um, Blessed Assurance. The last verse says, perfect submission, perfect delight. Do those go together? (laughs) Are we perfectly delighted to be perfectly submissive? And that's our goal. That is our goal. And uh, that those do go together. So that's modeling a godly life, which that is graduate level Christianity, to grow to the point where we volunteer and are happy to be a bondservant. And then let's look at Roman numeral 2 to model a joyful Life And, of course, these go together, uh, but for the sake of our outline, to model a joyful life. And the verse I picked for that is Hebrews 1.18. This is a verse that God gave me a long time ago, and I've really tried to uh, meditate on it, and I hope that you will as well. It says, and let me read it for you, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness, above thy fellows. So if we want to be happy, happier than anyone, then we need to love what is right and love doing right. And we need to hate iniquity. We need to hate doing what is wrong. And I have uh, put in here 
in your outline a little um, something that I got from my new uh, KJV Life Application Study Bible. I didn't come up with this myself, but I wanted to put it in here. Uh, I got one of those for Christmas, and uh, one of those Bibles, and I really enjoyed it. So, But there are some ways, and there's a study in Proverbs that you can do, so I'm just going to quickly go through this and let you study it on how to love what is right and hate what is wrong, because it's something you have to meditate on. If you want to be joyful... A one nine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One nine. I doubled it. I shouldn't have. Okay. Uh, twice the blessing. Okay. Hebrews one nine. Okay. But um, but let me help you fill in the blanks here, and then I'm going to make a few comments about that. But. For, to love righteousness, if you love righteousness, in Proverbs ten twenty four, and I'm going to let you uh, do this Bible study yourself. But if we love right, righteousness, we will be hopeful. Our outlook on life will be hopeful. If we love wickedness, it's going to be fearful because you know you have to fear all the consequences of doing what is wrong. If we love what is right, our response to life will be that it will be blessings. We will receive God's blessings. If we love doing what is right, if we want to do what's wrong and hate and love wickedness, we will experience violence. And Proverbs 12:10 tells us that. Our response to life, if we love righteousness, we will persevere against evil. If we love wickedness, we'll be brought down by calamity. If we love righteousness, we will be honest. Our response to life will be honesty. And if we love wickedness, it will be that we will hate the honest and we'll hate being honest. I read a quote one time. It says, to avoid lying, do nothing that needs to be concealed. And then you won't ever have to lie. And you can always be honest. To love righteousness, how we'll be perceived by others, we'll be respected by them. If we love doing right, if we love doing wrong, we will not endure. Proverbs thirteen fifteen tells us. And then for sake of time, you already have uh, several of those uh, filled in. Let's go down to our quality of life. If we love righteousness, we will be rescued by godliness. If we love wickedness, we will be trapped by evil desire. If we love righteousness, the income results in treasure. If we love wickedness, our income results in trouble. And Proverbs fifteen six tells us that. The long-term results of righteousness, God will protect us. And the long-term results of loving wickedness, God will destroy us, ultimately. I read a quote just to encourage you to meditate on that and to think about it. And this quote says, A person who is not skilled at being attentive and reflective can never be biblically wise. He cannot be godly. So see, it's very important that we are attentive and that we're reflective, we meditate on God's Word and meditate on this truth about loving righteousness and hating wickedness. And when I first encountered this verse and was challenged about it many years ago, I made a list of everything that was right, and I wrote down everything that was right, and I spent time loving that, that right thing of being a hard worker, of reading my Bible, of praying, and so forth. And then I made a list of everything that was wrong, sin, sinful things or wrong things, laziness or, or just a wrong lifestyle, sexual impurity, just things like that that are wrong. And I spent time thinking about those and where they lead and hating that. And that the Bible says if you do that, then he will anoint you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. So in order to model a joyful life, we need to spend time to be... Uh, attentive and reflective about this so that we can be biblically wise about it so that we can be godly but it's going to take some of your time
to do that. I was thinking about Brother Getch uh, in that motel room for a whole week, just him and the Lord. And I was challenged a few years ago by a lady, a speaker, who encouraged us to take a day. And I know we're busy with our children and our ministry and our husbands and so forth. But a day or a half a day to plan where just you and the Lord can spend hours together. Maybe three or four hours or seven or eight hours. Uh, Just like you would go to the mall with your friend, maybe. Well, don't do that. But just uh, send your children somewhere else or, or... clear your schedule where that you can spend maybe a half a day with just you and the Lord, where you have that bigger block of time, three or four hours, and maybe do it once a year or once a month or whatever you think you can do. But something like an exercise like this, where you're really spending some time thinking about loving what is right. And, you know, we're going to do what we love and we are not going to do what we hate. If we'll spend some time hating sin and, and where it leads us and the people that we're working with. And that's how you can be happy. Uh, that's one way that you can be happy. God says if you'll do that, he'll anoint you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. And that's how we can model a joyful life. And then Roman numeral three, godliness and joy come when our faith in God is strong. And just some thoughts that I had to kind of uh, wrap this up today, things that I thought back on that helped me to want to be godly and that uh, helped bring joy into my life is, first of all, A is no worrying. And I know we ladies have a hard time with that. I do. Philippians 4, 6, I quote it to myself all the time, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. Did you know that worry is a form of atheism for it betrays a lack of trust in God? Have you seen that quote before? So worry is a form of atheism for it betrays a lack of trust in God. God wants to give us good things, but he wants us to ask for them. And he wants us to pray. And so when we don't have what we want, his design was that we would ask. It wasn't his design that we would worry about it because we don't have it. Because God ordained prayer. And that we would ask him. So see, when we, we're, we're messing up his plan, <laughs> when we're worrying about what we should just be asking him for. And uh, so it's God's plan. Sometimes he doesn't answer us right away. And there are reasons for that. He wants to uh, deepen our insight into what we really need. Sometimes we ask for things, and I've asked for things before that God didn't answer. And later I was so thankful He didn't give me that. So our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways. And we just have to wait. uh, Sometimes he doesn't uh, answer right away because he wants to broaden our appreciation for his answers. And so that we will be thankful. God wants us to thank him. But you know what? Just like that boss that we were looking at in Luke 17, how many times does he does things for us? Does he do things for us? And we don't thank him. So sometimes he's waiting to answer our prayer so that it'll get our attention, so when it comes, we will thank him for that. So maybe, maybe we can help God in his plan, and he'll answer our prayers more quickly if we'll thank him all the time. So uh, let's be sure we're appreciative of his answers. And then God wants us to mature us so that we can use the gifts he's given us more wisely. So that's another reason he doesn't answer right away. He's going to answer, and he's going to answer in his time and his right way. But that's just something that we need to all be reminded of. And when Brother Gesh was talking this morning about, you know, some of us, we're serving in sin. 
because uh, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So if we're not having faith in our prayer, we're sinning. So that really spoke to me this morning, and that really helped me and just reminded me once again, the things that I'm praying for, the things that I was all worried about and I was uh, furrowing my brow about, God has a reason. Uh, he's growing me, and he wants to help us. I was reading just this week in Mark four forty, where Jesus calmed the storm, and then he came up to the disciples because they had been scared to death out there, and he said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I mean, it, he was like, it's, this is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, if Jesus was sarcastic, <laughs> and he wasn't, but, you know, he could have said, duh, duh, you know, how is it that you have no faith? And um, after I had read that, that morning, I was talking to my son. Our, my husband was on a tour, so he and I were having our devotions together, little Mark and I, or now I'm calling him young Mark because he's not little anymore. So young Mark, but that means my husband's old Mark, so I don't know. Anyway, that's a problem too. So, <laughs> so let me know what, what I can do to solve my dilemma. But uh, I said, now, Mark, what is it? And we read this verse. I said, what can you think of in your life that would grow, that has grown your faith? that you can see that God has done. And what can you think of? Think about that. What in your life that would grow your faith that you could look back on in those times that we're worrying or doubting? What is in your bank, your spiritual bank, that you can say, now God answered this in the past, so I know he's going to be there for me now. And I have things that I go back to when I'm worrying or praying and praying and God's not answering, I have events and things that I go back to that I can think of. But you know what? If you can't think of any, go to the Bible and just the Bible speaking to you. I remember when I was a kid, probably in the fourth or fifth grade, I was kind of a fearful child. Back in my day, uh, and some of you will remember this, the communists were going to come over and take over America. You know, so I would lay in bed at night worrying about the communists coming and shooting an arrow through my ear or whatever, because I saw that on some Christian movie. (laughs) And I would think about that. And I remember one night before I went to bed, I read 1 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. And God spoke to my heart as a kid and helped me through what I read in the Bible. So even if you can't think of any event that God answered or God really came through for you, we have this right here. And God's word, just because of God's word, why is it that we are so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Because God's word is so wonderful. And God speaks to me through his word, and he will speak to you through his word, and that will grow your faith also. So if there's nothing you can think of, you think, oh, you know, I'm having a hard time. This is your answer right here. And this will build your faith because this is a living book and it's wonderful. I love my Bible. Uh, So that's very helpful. Then B under that, no conniving. I'm a conniver. And so I have to really work on that. And you know, our favorite verse we quote for that, Proverbs 3, 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. And we think about trust in the Lord with all thine heart. But let's think about and lean not unto your own understanding. That's conniving. When you're leaning to your own understanding and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to work work it out. And... Uh, so let's st- not only think about the first part of that trust in the Lord with all thine heart, but go the next step and say now, don't connive, don't lean to my own understanding, 
but just trust in the Lord. Before putting any plan into action, ask yourself, is this in harmony with God's truth? And this, we have to read God's word before we'll know what his truth is. So before we try to work things out with our husband or with our children or, or some problem, we're going to make it happen. You know, uh, sometimes you ever feel like that? Well, I got to make this happen. Uh, does it fall in line with what God says? Will it work under real life conditions? Think about that. Will it work under real life conditions? I read this. John Wesley said this, though I am always in haste, I am never in a hurry because I never undertake more work than I can go through with calmness of spirit. Isn't that good? I didn't know he said that. I read that just the other day when I was thinking about this and preparing and and working on this a little more. But he said, though I'm always in a haste, and, you know, we've got a lot to do. And that spoke to me. You know, I'm I'm running from here and getting the laundry done and then cooking and, you know, how we multitask and calling on the phone and so forth. Though I'm always in haste, I'm never in a hurry because I never undertake more work than I can go through with calmness of spirit. So when we're conniving... And we're trying to work things out. Will it really work under real life conditions? Or, or do we have too much on our plate? Are we trying to work out too much? And that will steal your joy because it will put you under stress and under pressure uh, because we have taken on so much because we're trying to work it out. We're leaning on our own understanding because I've got to fix this. And uh, we as women like to fix it uh, for people. And then is my attitude pleasing to God? So what is our motive for what we're doing. Are we worried about what other people are going to think about us? Or are we worrying about what other people are going to think about our children? Uh, and so, you know, it, and it's putting us under that pressure. What is our attitude? Is, is our attitude pleasing to God? What is our motive? Then C, uh, godliness and joy come when our faith in God is strong. And we need to be strong to resist sin's temptation. Strength to resist sin's temptation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.13 that we can withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, we can do it. I was reading just last week, too, uh, Ordering Your Private World. I was reading that book. And these are the 12 sins, common sins, that he listed in there. See if any of these are ones that we need to work on. Anger, resentment, fear, worry, desire to dominate, self-preoccupation, guilt, Sexual impurity, jealousy, lack of creative activity, inferiority, and lack of love. Those are the 12 most common sins that he had surveyed and found. But what is the temptation that we have? We, we all have something different. And we must, through God's word, uh, receive the strength to resist sin's temptation. And then D, boldness to win people to Christ. And, of course, Psalm 126.6 says that we will doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing our sheaves wisdom. And that will give you uh, joy of the Lord like nothing else is when you win somebody to Christ and see them grow as a Christian. This summer, my husband's been gone uh, a lot on tour. And so little Mark and I have been there one week. My husband was gone. Uh, young Mark was gone on tour. Um, and my two daughters were gone as well. So I was just all alone by myself and me and the Lord. So I had a week like that too. It was awesome. And I determined that I was going to knock at least 10 doors in my neighborhood every night. And uh, I've been doing that through the summer when I have those off days. And uh, so set a goal. Uh, our neighborhoods, you know, we need to shine the light in our neighborhood. And uh, so whatever goal you need to set to boldly uh, witness 
and to win people to Christ. I hope that you will do that. Uh, those of you who have lived here, you've probably seen the Lori Thomason dorm, and I know men are staying in there this week. Uh, but Lori Thomason, I knew her when uh, she was in high school. She passed away when she was just in her early 20s of cancer, and she worked here in our ministry. But I thought of her when I was thinking of this lesson of modeling a godly and joyful life. And uh, Lori was, even as a teenager, uh, in my Sunday school class, she was always very attentive. She would uh, come up to me and talk. You know, mostly teenagers, you have to go up to them and start the conversation. But she would come up and, how are you doing? And, you know, just be interested in in what I was doing. We worked together in the nursery. We were in the one-year-old nursery. And uh, even as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, she would change the diapers and she would play. She wouldn't just sit over in the corner and, you know, let me do all the work and so forth. And she was just a spectacular uh, high schooler. Uh, She was uh, in my college classes also. She was a secretarial student, and that's what I teach. Uh, She was a straight-A student. Uh, she, after she got married, she worked to help her husband finish school. But I thought of a story when she was um, going into heaven. She was in our AV hospital here after uh, a brief battle with cancer. And she was up there. Her parents had come, who were good friends of ours, uh, and Pastor and Mrs. Chapel and, and David, her husband, they were all in the room. The rest of us were in the hall uh, just waiting until Lori went to heaven. And that particular night, I heard them as Lori passed on into heaven. I heard Pastor and Miss Chapel and Brother Miss McKee and her mom and dad and David singing a song about going to heaven. And I remembered something about Lori uh, when she was in high school and college. She and her sister both sang very well. And so I just assumed that their mother sang. You know, usually it works that way. So I was in charge of a mother-daughter banquet, and I asked them to sing, and I gave them a song. I said, why don't you, the mom and the two daughters, sing this song? And I asked them to do that. And uh, so Lori took the song, and uh, she came back after a day or two, and she said, you know, Miss Rasmussen, we're just not getting it. Could you get somebody else and, you know, just not use us. That's all. Okay, no problem. So I got somebody else. And then I remembered that when I heard them singing as Lori was going into heaven because I heard her mother sing and she was a total monotone. <laughs> she, she was not singing any note correctly. And, uh, but I thought of that, how Lori didn't want to say anything bad about her mother, that she just said, you know, we're just not getting it. Could you get somebody else? to get it. And it just made me uh, appreciate Lori even more and what she modeled. She was a builder of people. Uh, She was a bond servant. She had the joy of the Lord. She built her, built people around her. She didn't want to say anything bad about other people. And I thought, what an example that she modeled for us. And then when she went to heaven, so many people had looked to her and she had done such a wonderful Life with, I think, the 24 years that God gave her here that we named a dorm after her. Just a very young lady. Usually you name dorms after, you know, older people and so forth. But she had modeled what God wanted her to model. She was a bondservant. She modeled uh, a godly and joyful spirit because she had a good testimony. So, ladies, what is our testimony? What do other people think of our lives? Are we a builder of people? Are we a bond servant? Do we just volunteer to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ? It's, it's not easy, but I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And you know, we're here to fellowship with God, and we're here to impact other people. Other than that, God can just take us to heaven. 
So are we fellowshipping with God by reading His Word? And then who are we really impacting? That's what we're here for. And we can impact them best by being a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on modeling a joyful and godly Christian life with Mrs. Sousa Rasmussen. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.